Hey there, it's Millen. Rather than start this episode with a typical audio clip, like I usually do, I decided I'd do a special shout-out for my guest this week, John. He runs an audio production studio in North Scottsdale called Lazy Ape Studios, and it is incredible. Really, if you have any audio needs whatsoever, please check it out. He is not only incredibly knowledgeable and incredibly talented audio engineer, his studio is awesome. It's where we met. Truly, it is an amazing place. Check it out. Now on to the episode. You're listening to the SpyFi After Dark Podcast. Welcome to SpyFi After Dark. Today, I am joined by my friend, John. Introduce yourself, maybe. Hello, Millen. It's good to see you. Uh, we, we met quite a while ago. Yes. A number of years. It's uh, seven years now. It's seven years, man. Just a little bit over seven years, right? So that's crazy. August eighth or whatever, right? So it would have been a few months before that. Yeah, 2012. Yeah, it's crazy, man. 2019, almost 2020. What the heck? It's like it's it's time seems to fly. I don't know. That's what all the older people used to say, right? But now that I'm, we've existed, experienced. Yeah. Seems to go by a lot faster than when the good old days, you know. Yeah, I'd say time even goes by faster for me. I've noticed a difference. It goes by faster? Yeah. Why do you think so? I think it's a function of being very busy. Now that, because if you compare me four years ago to Mm -hmm. today, four years ago I would have been in college. I would not have had a full-time job. Mm-hmm. So I would have had the bulk of my days available to do whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Versus now, I have half the week, if right. if that, available to do what I want to do. Right. So I think because of that, time feels a little compressed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why, but it's interesting. But that was... at. Yeah. So in, in, uh, 2012, I opened up, uh, the studio, I opened the doors January of that year. And one of the first, one of the first projects that I worked on was this movie that you were a part of called silent echo. Yes. What the studio is lazy ape, right? Lazy ape studios. Yep. Yeah. Yep. North Scottsdale. North Scottsdale off rain tree. One one. Pretty dope place. If you got to record something. Thanks, man. I got to come back and check it out. I'm again. a little offended. A you, didn't, you didn't come and record your podcast there. You know, what is this crap, dude? <sighs> Next time. <we'll> do that. <laughs> I'm just kidding, dude. This is, I do this have is a mobile, awesome. I actually have a mobile setup, so we could do that. Yeah. That is an option. Yeah. yeah. Any, anytime, man. But this is, I mean, this is, this is cool. I really enjoy uh, Like I said, it's very comfortable and it's, uh, yeah, there's, I think there's an advantage doing it in your home. Yeah. A different kind of feeling, you know? Yeah. This is your domain, mm-hmm. you know, it's your domain. You, you're on your own time. You're not, you know, running mm-hmm. up bills on, yep. you know, and so you're not constrained. Not, not by, renting the space. Right. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, I am renting the space, but <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, different <laughs> yeah. feeling. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Yeah. So that was, uh, that's where I met you. And, uh, we, we, like I said, I, I look back at those times 
it was quite a bit of nostalgia. It was, it was, uh, it honestly doesn't even feel like that long ago. It doesn't, it doesn't at all. But, but when you tell me that it was seven years ago, I then know, I'm I like, what the hell? I surprised myself when I said seven years. So yeah. Like, Hold on, wait, seven? That is, that's not right. No way. But it is. That's a long time. When you're zero, when, you, when you're first born, and then you're seven. I mean, that's like a, a, a huge leap, you know, tons of, but uh, when you get, I don't know, anyway. So, so Lazy Ape. Yes. What what kind of projects come through your doors? Oh man, days? all all kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's. Uh, I know you did a lot of music. Mm-hmm. Is yep. that still the bulk of it? Um, yes. Uh, so, and it depends. You know, sometimes people come in and they just want to record. They already have. Rec- they recorded somewhere else, and then they just need a. Um, they need to record vocals or do this particular part and so they use us just for that sometimes you do like full projects sometimes you work with people who already have tracks and like a lot of um uh rappers they uh, come in and they um they have the beat already done and they just want to do the rapping stuff sometimes it's just they want to mix uh, a lot of uh, mastering um yeah yeah not not so much not so much with that there's there's studios that you know i can master i can i can certainly do that um however there are studios out there that are totally focused on just that process Mm -hmm. you know so you know if somebody asked me if i could master it yeah i could i can i can make it louder and (laughs) You know, but there's uh, that's so, like a whole other. So you do where people uh, there people are um, specifically. Um, it's their niche. Exactly. Yeah. So like so they're a do, mastering studio. You do primarily recording and mixing then. Uh, pr- yeah, primarily recording, um, uh, and obviously my experience is recording. Right. For for what I've done, but right. Yeah, recording uh, production. Times I've I've so I sing. Okay. I'm I've been singing for a long time, so probably one of the things that I enjoy most doing is I I work with uh, I like vocal production. Okay. So helping them sing, you know, I also do voice lessons. Okay. I give voice lessons. I I've taken voice lessons for a very long time. Um, so I'm sure you've heard a version of this question before, but have you worked with anyone I would know? Ah, obviously this is Arizona, so it's not LA, so chances are pretty low, but you figure it's worth asking. Yeah. Uh, if you're asking if like anybody, if like, uh, actually Taylor Swift recorded, forget the, I know, let's just say anyone with over 10,000 followers. Uh, as an arbitrary number, I'm sure. Uh, let me think. I'm sure, though it's been seven years. It's been seven years, so I've worked with. Um, so it's a probably yes. Yeah, though I wouldn't. I don't know if I'm able to to recall. Yeah, fair enough. But it's not like Taylor Swift or. So how? how but many in the studio, in the studio. B- 
uh, prior to me, the guy who owned it originally, um, who built it, um, he was, uh, he's had like Megadeth in there, Jay-Z is recorded in there, mm. so. Jay-Z? Yeah. Why would he come out to Arizona for that? Dude, that guy Ryan was good. I guess so. You know. It must have been something. Yeah. It was good. So there, even though I've never recorded, you know, um, the, dude, the people that, I mean, it's interesting because you, you record some people, man, that you're, it's such a weird, uh, as I think about it, like some of the people that you work with, like they're so talented mm-hmm. and they have, uh, they have, um, you would say that they have all the variables for success. Yeah. Yeah. Yet, um, you know, success is talent times hard work times opportunity. Yeah. And maybe another couple dozen. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, you know, but, um, yeah. So, so how many how many people have come through over those seven years? How many people have come through? Yeah. And what do you mean by that? Like how many different projects have you worked on? Oh, man, I have no idea. But I mean, I've, I have no idea. It's been... I mean, I've worked a lot of EDM, a lot of rappers, uh, country, singer-songwriters. Some mm, I've worked with classical people i've uh i've worked i've done commercials um i've done audio for commercials i did you know movies i've done audio books podcasts so what's your okay so then what's your favorite project you can recall oh man hmm that's a uh, that's a difficult question for me to answer because a lot of, a lot of projects there was, uh, I've derived much value from, I feel from many different people that I've worked with. Um, uh, and it's, uh, yeah, some more than others. But overall, it was, um, I enjoyed, uh, I enjoy working with people who, let's say they'll have like an idea of a song and like, I like the, you get the soundboard for them. Yeah. And just, and you really get to know people. Yeah. You know? Okay. You really get to know people. Um, has there been any other project where you've had to stay up till two in the morning? Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's kind of like a. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was an exception for Simon mm. Echo or, or the rule. I mean, you know, you, you've, uh, you know, you know, you've worked on, I'm sure, yeah. you know, working on that Silent Echo and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm sure it wasn't like a, oh, well, I've clocked in my five hour or, you know, eight hours for the day. And yeah. So no, like sometimes you got to go, you know. Especially towards the end. There were some late nights. Some, yeah. Flatter. No, no. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> At least in my case, I actually had a lot of time to work on my stuff, so I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't have. I wasn't too crunched by the end. Mm. 
Hmm. At least not that I remember. Maybe I just forgot all about it. Yeah, maybe the trauma yeah. is like... Just blacked out. Yeah, you... <laughs> just next morning I wake up and there's four more shots done. I don't remember doing. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you get into that? Would you believe me if I said complete chance? Well, you'd have to explain it. Um, okay, so... I'll let you know if I believe you. After. In... 2010, mm -hmm. I believe around 2010, my grandmother happened to meet and work with someone who worked at Adobe. Mm. And this person said they could give her a free license to any Adobe product. Mm. At the time, I was watching Video Copilot, which uh, for those who don't know is a website run by a guy named Andrew Kramer, who does a lot of visual effects tutorials mm -hmm. and After Effects mm -hmm. primarily. Right. Pretty much entirely. Mm -hmm. So I wanted After Effects. That's what I chose. And then it just so happened that literally like a month later or maybe two months later, a very short amount of time later, one of my friends at school said he had a friend who was doing a video project and that was expeditionary force that was before silent echo yeah that was there that was the, that was the one before that mm -hmm. um and they needed visual effects stuff and i had told this friend earlier that i had got after effects and was playing around with it yeah so i didn't really know what i was doing right right so <laughs> i went in and then i did i only did like 10 shots for him there like, wasn't even a lot of stuff yeah. but uh they, they liked it and then a year and a half rolls by and they're starting post-production for Silent Echo and uh, well production and then post-production hmm. brought me on. So that's how you met yep. Malcolm Brothers. Uh huh. And actually I think Corey had gone to my school but then left for public school I think or a different private What's, school. What? I went to Basis oh. which is a charter school. Right. Uh, and I went from 5th through 12th grade. And I think Corey was there in middle school for some of it, but I'm not sure because mm. he's the same age as me. Mm -hmm. And then I think he went to Brophy for high school, um, I want to say. Or Scottsdale Prep or something. Some, or I'm Scottsdale sure. Prep. It's prep, one of those two. Yeah. Uh, so, at, But so I didn't you, know him. I right. didn't know him at all. Right. I just knew uh, this other friend, Jeff, who knew him as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so that's how, so you're like, yeah, hey, I got, well, I got this program. I could, you know, add some flashy. Yeah. Add some muzzle flares. <laughs> muzzle flares. Yeah. 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 Yep. That's how it began. That's how it began. And then how come you didn't quit? Well, I mean, <laughs> I kind of did quit. Did Technically. You? Yeah. I mean, I could still do it. I know how to do it still. Uh, okay. But I haven't actually done visual effects in quite a long time. Hmm. Um, the most recent... The most recent instance was I had a class, mm -hmm. a video production class. And mind you, my degree is not a video degree. What is your degree? It's a graphic design, web design degree. Okay. But it's like really broad. Mm -hmm. So it included a video production class. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
It's either that or I took it to satisfy an elective or something. It might have been that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did a little horror short film for our final project. Mm-hmm. So I, I worked with the same team twice for two projects in that class. Mm-hmm. And so for this final project, we did a little horror short film where uh, this guy is telling a story to his friends at their house. Mm -hmm. And then we sort of teleport into the story and it's them out hiking a trail. We went up to Tom's Thumb, which is where we filmed some of Silent Echo. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then this guy uh, ends up picking up like an ancient coin and it like imbues him with power such that when he touches someone they freeze oh dude that'd be so awesome so he ends up accidentally freezing and killing his friends oh well then right and of course it's the same people in the Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. and then we come back to uh present day where he's telling the story he finishes his story and everyone's like okay that was a good story and then he goes says does anyone want another beer walks over to the fridge right everyone else is still in the living room goes around the corner of the fridge. He pulls out a beer and he, uh, you see his hand turn, turn blue and it like freezes the beer. Like makes it colder uh-huh. and it cuts in. That's how it ends. That's creepy, dude. Yeah. I'm creeped out right now. Yeah. So I, I wrote that and then we all kind of co-directed it. Mm-hmm. The three of us, um, brought on a couple friends to add additional actors and then I did the effect of freezing people, which was honestly not that good. It was just a mask, and a lot of rotoscoping, and then color, yeah. color <laughs> gradient. But I have no idea. <laughs> if I if I had really had some time, I would have like found ways to incorporate like a texture on it too. But mm. I, I didn't. Mm-hmm. If you could have any superhero uh, superpower, is that was is that what it would be? You'd want to freeze people? No. <laughs> That's a pretty <laughs> awful one. Uh, I don't know. I'm like, I'm kind of fascinated by super speed. Speed. Yeah. Okay. For what? How do you think you would utilize that? Like, I have no idea. Just like saving time. I just don't have to have a car anymore. Yeah. And save some money but on you, that. But you need to buy shoes, I imagine. That's true. You'd have to buy a lot of shoes. A lot of shoes. Um, and eat a lot of calories. Yeah. So yeah. it might be more. You know, it might be more economical to have a car. Yeah. Mm. Dude, I don't know. But that'd be cool. That'd be cool to be the fastest. It would be cool. It would be very cool. Being able to, like, breathe underwater would be cool, too. Yeah. Again, to utilize it for maybe then you could go and find some like treasure and be like super rich. Mm, true. Like that's, I could, I, we, could, I could see, I, that's, what, that's probably what I would use it for. I don't know. To be honest, I'm not like, I'd, my power, the power that I probably most want to have is some, something like Stark, who his, his real superpower is superpower right. intelligence. Right. That's probably what I'd pick. Yeah. Just because you can use that to do anything. But then aren't you already Stark? Well, if you insist. <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, I, I'll, I'll tell you something. I was excited when you first told me about the podcast. I was excited. I think we had some, despite some of our differences on some, you know, 
opinions on on things it's like i i admired like just the way your mind operated at a level uh, i would say a little deeper um than where most people operate at I, i try well it uh yeah i um I admire that. So I was like, oh, well, he's I, I like, oh, he's smart guy. So that means if he wants me on, that means I'm not as dumb, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like, a, you know. Well, but maybe I just wanted you on for your magnificent voice. Ah. <laughs> well, thank you. But um, yeah, so that's one thing. It's like I enjoy I enjoy talking. I enjoy talking to people who, you know, like thing like to go things a little bit uh, more beneath the surface than you know most people and um yeah so yeah i definitely don't spend a lot of time in the shallows why not it's more comfortable there dude ah uh, you know i'm more comfortable in the deep water yeah yeah i feel like i don't want to boast but yeah I just feel like I have the ability to swim in that and a lot of people don't. And so that like gives me a little bit of an, an advantage, a little bit of comfort. Hmm. Like your, your capacity to tolerate stormy waters is more, yeah, is, uh, at a higher, your tolerance levels are higher. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons I was interested in doing a podcast in the first place. Yeah. It's because I knew that I had a wide, diverse array of people, friends and acquaintances that I knew. Right. And ultimately, I knew that if they had something passionate to say, right. I had the capacity to comment on it. Yeah. And even meet, if meet it's at not that my level. main thing. Uh, right. Right. And meet, meet at that level. Yeah. And hopefully match their energy. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Don't you, do you ever envy those people though? Envy the people who. It's gotta be less anxiety inducing. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Like so a little bit. Occasionally. Doing this podcast. Are you, do you ever have uh, this fear that you're going to expose how maybe smart you really aren't? And say something stupid and bring shame um, to your family and your <laughs> ancestors. <laughs> that's a good, it's a good question. We'll find out, huh? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not, I think one of the other things is I have a capacity for being, I'm like, I'm okay with being wrong. Hmm. Hmm. Like, you know, I know for a lot of people, it's almost bothers them to be wrong. Oh, really? This is my observation. I do. I, I, people I, are very uncomfortable when they realize they're wrong. Um, but I still feel it. It just doesn't yeah. last very long for me. Huh? I think I have more of a capacity to just be like, okay, that's fine. I was wrong. I can change my mind. No big deal. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, that's a dude. That's a 
I think that's a valuable, I think it's a very valuable lesson that uh, I think we all try, we all should be trying to, uh, like understanding the capacity that, the probability that you're wrong about something, or not, not uh, the probability that you're not 100, 100% right about something uh, is, is very, very high. High. I like the phrasing that you assume that anyone you talk to has something you can learn from. Mm, definitely. So you don't start from the place of like this person. There's no way they have something, something new. You know, they're, they're either wrong or they're not going to tell me anything I don't already know. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, I think, walk through life like that. Yeah. Because it, it takes a certain amount of courage to not do that. Yeah. I, as you said, I think it takes a lot of comfort being able to tolerate the storm, right? Yeah. Being able to, uh, and understand your capacity to, to tolerate things that maybe in your current perspective are, you feel like they're beyond the limits of what you can, you know, tolerate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've just always been very comfortable in unfamiliar intellectual places. And like I emphasize intellectual because you go outside of that space and it's a different story. So what do you mean by that? Well, primarily life in my opinion is divided between intellectual and emotional. Mm -hmm. So the flip side being unfamiliar emotional places I'm very uncomfortable with. Mm. Yeah. But it seems like you could traverse those pretty. I'm getting better at it. You could intellect, at least you could. I'm getting better at it. Yeah. And one of my, one of my methods for traversing it is intellectualizing. (laughs) That's to an extent it's, it's where possible applying some structure that will make it easier to understand in my brain. Yeah. It's not always possible, but in some, some instances it is. Hmm. Yeah. That's something that's, that's something that's hard for me too. Oh, the other component is physical. I should say there's really three. It's intellectual, emotional, and physical. Mm -hmm. Physical is kind of a 50, 50 for me. So what, okay, so how do you, like, give me an example of each, like what? Okay, uh, physical could be something like playing a sport, mm-hmm. right? Like playing basketball. Okay. And you're not necessarily good at basketball. Like being comfortable in that space, right? Right. So that space of physicality, using your body. Mm-hmm. Another example, which is more, uh, recent to my life is salsa dancing. So I've started, really? started going to, to group classes. H- how do you, how do you like it? I, I like it quite a bit. You do? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's a physical space, right? Mm-hmm. It's about your body and how you use it. So I think for a large portion of my life, I was pretty uncomfortable with physical spaces. Mm-hmm. And part of that, 
my mom certainly thinks so, but I think I agree with her is, uh, we didn't, I was nearsighted, like I wear glasses, but mm-hmm. we didn't actually know that till I was in first grade. Mm-hmm. And presumably I had been nearsighted for a number of years before that. So there's kind of a, like a lack of comfort with sight early on in my life, which would make a, a lot of physical activity much more difficult. Right. It, I mean, it impairs, if you can't see, you're kind of dealing with uh yeah. Comparative, uh, comparatively, right? Yeah. Okay. So then obviously intellectual is anything, um, anything sort of up there, you know, it's about, about thought. So anything abstract. Uh, so how, how have you, let me ask you, how have you intellectualized your, your desire to go shake your hips in salsa? The the intellectualizing component of that yeah. is not actually has it has nothing to do with the desire component. It's the <laughs> the execution. Okay. So for for a little bit of background, with any sort of pair dance, you have a lead and a follow, mm-hmm. right? The man is the lead. Right. Right. It's just how it works. Don't complain. Um, uh, so I I don't care, but there no, might be some that I'm may directing that towards the audience. <laughs> Like, don't send me hate tweets. That's just, I'm sorry. That's how it works. Um, and so when you're learning something like that, there's a lot of pressure on, on you, on me in this case, because I'm in a lead position. So you have to learn a lot more for that. Hmm. So the intellectualizing component comes from taking the, what you have to do, like the, the result you're trying to achieve mm-hmm. and breaking it down to its component pieces. Mm-hmm. And then being able to use that to create a flow and you can sort of see a hierarchy of what needs to be done all the way to the lowest level, which is the actual movements you have to do. Mm-hmm. So you kind of abstract out the process. So you're not doing movements. Your first thought is this is the direction I want to go. Like what's right? the story? This is the, it's like, uh, I want to move to this stance. I want to move to this position, mm-hmm. right? You have like an, you set an end goal mm-hmm. and then in your mind, you have to break that into larger steps that can get you there. Right. And then you break down the steps into the actual movements involved in the step itself. Right. So it's like a few tiers. Okay. If that makes sense. See, so, so that's, so that's your intellectual side work and where you could take like simple things like dance, but you break them down into sequence and that's how your mind yeah. works. I think that's like your, I think that's what makes you militant, right? I think so. Yeah. I don't have any evidence to suggest otherwise. So, Or to disprove it. Yeah. Otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> and then what about uh, uh, the emotional well, as the name would suggest, anything that is not necessarily explainable through logic. So, it's a good example. I mean, we go through a lot of emotional moments in our lives. Um, I mm. could pull out... I guess I could pull out some 
history. So like, like, do you have, is there any emotion? Is there any like emotional, um, like in this sense with salsa dancing? Yeah. I mean, that's honestly probably a good place to go because there's also an emotional component. It's a physical and an emotional component, mm-hmm. right? Because you're not just there to, to do this thing. You're also there to meet people, right. enjoy yourself and right. experience positive emotions. Right. 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 But along with that comes uncertainty, anxiety. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Dude, whole, I'm not a dancer. Whole bunch like, of that stuff. Just the just you telling me that you did salsa. Like I put myself like, oh, I would go do, if I went to go do salsa. I'm just like, yes, yeah, screw that. I'm it's not. Um, <laughs> I will say it's not. It's actually not that hard to start getting into. It's hard. The. It's hard getting to the point where you have to learn what leading is and mm-hmm. how to do that. Like I'm not there yet. I'm right. working on that. Right. That's the step I'm on. Right. The initial thing, because they, they do group classes with like a large number of people and you rotate partners, right? Mm-hmm. So just starting to get into it and like learning the basic steps, it's actually not terribly complicated. Right. Because it's not, it's really not a super complicated dance. Right. Like I'm sure there are much more complicated ones. Mm-hmm. These basic Latin dance styles are pretty simple they can be made more complicated right but to competently do them it's not actually that complicated Mm -hmm. so so for me the during the lesson is is like at at that point that's comfort zone for me because i know enough that i'm comfortable enough with the the steps and right i can execute pretty pretty consistently once the lesson ends and the structure leaves, that's where it switches. That's where it becomes less comfortable because then you have like, then you have to do the structure. And that's the hard part is like learning how to build the structure in real time because you don't, you don't have like a thing mapped out and you right. don't know how long the song is. You have to just keep going until it's done. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's where the, the anxiety and, and emotions <laughs> the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it makes it worse when then people come in towards the end who are good. And like clearly good. Yeah. Yeah. And they make it look so easy. They do. And you're like, screw those people. And this is, uh, this is something that's, this is something that's much harder for men. Mm-hmm. Just very plainly. Harder it's, for men. What is salsa dancing mm. certainly in the early levels you know once once you both get very good it's a different story but right certainly in the it's much harder for men it's really not even a comparison you can come in as a woman and hardly know what you're doing as it, long as the man knows it, what he's doing you'll look fine right because he's he's directing you yeah right and it it almost can be better because then She's not trying to, to like anticipate or like, yeah, lead back lead, which it just just makes, it makes for more interesting dynamics, you know, Mm -hmm. like even on, on an emotional level, I feel like when you look at, 
this is weird because I'm not like dancing and stuff. That's not mm-hmm. was not in my culture. Wasn't in my. It's just something. It's just I'm just not comfortable. Yeah. Oh, uh, and know. it's very new for me too. Yeah. For I, up until very recently, I would say the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, but I was I was thinking. Yeah, even though I'm not, uh, I've seen like some YouTube videos of like, I don't know, dancing with the stars or whatever it was and where you see some people who are, um, they're dancing mm-hmm. and it's, everything seems to be like incongruence. It's like there's, the fundamentals are there. They know how to do the, yep. move their hips in the way they need to do it mm-hmm. uh the um uh-oh what is that emergency alert dust storm of course it's arizona <sighs> shut up Put that on vibrate. like there's there's something everything seems to be congruent like their their skill their technique their movement, mm-hmm. their dynamics, their so the physical body, yep. the intellectual, mm-hmm. like this is why this appears beautiful is because you know the yeah and formulaic equations or whatever it helps that they <laughs> they have a routine pl- plotted out right yeah and then there's that emotional thing where it's like they're on this you feel like the uh, you know, they seem to be feeling something. And so it seems that when everything is, when all those three things are in line, mm-hmm. aligned, even people who, people can, can, can connect to it. Yeah. Uh, and not just with, we're talking about, you know, dance, but I think that's, you know, that's, um, the same sort of thing that it's like that thread that sort of connects people you know whether it's music whether it's like a movie whether it's like a, a video game mm-hmm. it, it when everything is in sync yeah yeah it's it's a very different feeling from when you're doing it in real time because when you're experiencing it ex- from the outside or what do you, when what you, do you experience mean? like a production? Cause if it's like dancing with the stars, let's say mm-hmm. it's a production. Mm-hmm. That's why I say like the fact that they have a routine put together that changes the context because mm-hmm. they get to put in the creativity of the routine to start with. And they like design this routine around producing a performance. Okay. Versus if you're like coming up with what you're trying to do while you're doing it. It's a different feeling. It's certainly going to look different from the outside. Yeah. You might get the same feeling as the person doing it, but from the outside, it's not going to look the same. uh, Why do you think? Because in with music, for example, you know, you have your, you have your production. Mm Mm-hmm. But then you have like jazz where people just. True. Well, and I guess I should probably add the caveat that once you get someone who's very good, 
then the gap closes. And they could improvise. And they can improvise effectively the same thing. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I wasn't factoring that in. Yeah. But it's it's just, uh, like, that's beauty. I mean, you know, like, that's that's art. That's what I... What appeals to you the most? Like, when you see somebody do, like, a crazy feat, like they, I don't know, throw them up in the air or something, and you're like, wow, the technicality of that, like, that's amazing. Or is it more like the emotion, like, the what that, you know, going deep... Hmm. Like, or the like. If you were to say, look at a painting, is it? Oh man, his choice of colors and like being technical and to like you know about why you like it, or is it more? Uh, it depends on the context for me. It depends on the thing that I'm looking at. Okay. So, if it's something like dance, then it's an emotional thing, um, not a physical. As far as like my reaction to it, there's a mix, but I think it's largely emotional. That's what appeal. That's in the hierarchy of. That's what appeals if, to you. If the I'm more. like watching someone do it, right? Doing it is a different story, but right. If I'm watching someone do it, then I'd say it's a largely emotional. At this point, there's a little bit of a physical appreciation because I know how some of it's done now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, if we were to switch to something else, like if we're talking about like a a video game or a movie, then it's almost equal um, appreciation of the craft and appreciation of the result Mm -hmm. because I'm so far into knowing how they're done, how they're made. So it's equally as interesting to me to see a movie that's just well done or well executed as it is one with like an excellent story. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you what, what were your thoughts on uh, Game of Thrones? How did you feel about that? I haven't watched it. You haven't? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. I would like. I, I would be very curious to see what your opinion on that was. Yeah, uh, I do want to watch it. I've never had HBO in my entire life. Mm-hmm. So I could see myself signing up for HBO Go for like a month just to watch it. Mm-hmm. I think you do a 30 day free or something. Yeah. So I could, Binge. I could see myself doing now that it's over. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've heard, heard some incredible things. I've seen some, some scenes, mm-hmm. uh, some clips here and there, primarily the scene, the battle scene where they're in like this winter town on the shore and there's like skeleton mm. zombies okay. and shit. Okay. Um, I don't know the context for it at yep. all. Mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about, though. Um, and there's the giant. I mean, amazing. Um, yeah. Production-wise. No, so, and I've seen, like... seen the, like, some of the breakdown of the visual effects, and it's like, uh, it's very impressive. Right. I'm, throughout the whole series, that was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll drop that then. And we'll, I, but I'd be curious, once you watch it, which you should. Yeah. Actually, I don't know. Just let me know if you ever watch it. Okay. What you thought? What are your what? Are, what is like a a video game? That's what's your favorite video game? Mirror's Edge. A Mirror's Edge. No, just Mirror's Edge. Mirror's Edge. Yeah. I have no. 
I really should say, well, I'm going to stick with Mirror's, the original Mirror's Edge. So there was a sequel slash reboot called Catalyst, Mirror's Edge Catalyst, which came out like eight years later, um, which is a better game. Like technically speaking, mm-hmm. it's improved. Right. The main mechanic, which is free running, mm-hmm. is far more fluid mm-hmm. and much uh there's less instances where you mess up without knowing why, which was kind of a problem with the first one. And then they also added combat that's good versus combat that sucked in the first one. And um, story is as good, about the same, maybe even a little better. Everything else is, is debatable, subjective. But... I would still stick with the first Mirror's Edge because at the time it was so innovative Mm -hmm. that the experience that I had playing it could not be matched with Catalyst, Mm. even though it was a better game. Hmm. Mirror's Edge, when was that? 2008. 2008. Huh. On PC or? It was on all the consoles in PC, although I did not play it until 2011 or 2012. So why do you, why was that experience be- uh, so that that you would say it's your favorite? I think a lot of it comes down to it was incredibly innovative. Mm-hmm. So the main mechanic was free running. You're doing parkour mm. and you're doing it in a setting that's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's this like dystopian world, but it's clean. Mm-hmm. It's like a clean dystopia. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of white and then splashes of bright color. So the art direction is really good. Even though the technical art behind it is nothing like nothing to write home about, mm-hmm. the art direction is so good that it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And uh let's say if you were to let's say if you were to disregard all uh technical stuff just in terms of story, emotion, story, like what was uh do you have a game that you're like that was the like have you ever played a video game where the story was so good where you're just like I don't want to get all but you know you get kind of like misty eyed or and you're like dang that like is... it, it it like it tickles the deeper parts of your <laughs> it, it surpasses the intellectual side because like there's some games that i've played where the mechanics weren't super good but the story's just like that was you know that justified like the story was so good that it justified perhaps you know the imperfections of the gameplay if it was sluggish or you know uh, this is such a hard question like, what are some of your favorite games? Uh, like, that's, you know. Okay. Um, the problem is, like, the games for me that had a good story also had good gameplay. Well, what are they? Okay, so one that's coming to mind is uh, Splinter Cell Conviction. Okay. I love that game. Now, I also really liked Blacklist. And it's almost like... Blacklist was, again, it's a technically superior game in every way. Okay. The gameplay is smoother. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and the action is is better. The the main the core the mechanics that they built for conviction primarily like the the uh, auto execution technique mm-hmm. where once you get a melee kill you can like mark people and if they're in view right. just like one quick thing. Mm-hmm. The version that they implemented for blacklist allows you to do it while you're still moving. So in conviction, you do it and you just like stop and like rotate mm-hmm. and do it because they they were limited on time. They couldn't do it how they wanted to. But with uh, blacklist, you can like run in and hit it, and he like keeps going and he's like doing his moves while he runs. Wow, he's... And it's so much better. Uh-huh. It's just it's so it's a completely better game in every way. Uh huh. But the story is not nearly as good. Okay. Yeah. Conviction is such a powerful personal story that it just you I don't know if you could could match it. Dude, I'll have to play it. I've never I think I played it at not I don't know that specific game. Mm-hmm. But um I'm it, a big fan of those uh the those stealth, stealth those stealth action games. Yeah. I mean probably the video game that was most in, I remember I was young, and I had a PlayStation, and I played the they had the demo disc of Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. Okay, <laughs> dude, I like I, that's one of those games where I was just been a fan, uh, forever. And the story is just like that guy's the the director Hideo Kojima. That guy's mm-hmm. there's so many layers and so many, and the whole story like spans over two decades and it's like uh, that was a did you ever play that game no no Mm. I can't um, for me I know it's kind of dumb but there at least with the newest one I haven't really seen much of the older ones Mm -hmm. I've mostly just seen gameplay from the newest one Mm -hmm. since I'm I'm a lot younger than you are I'm not that old dude well, I'm 24, so yeah, I'm, I'll be 30 this year. Yeah, so I mean so. that's that's enough of a gap that yeah. there's like a real a real different exposure to media in that time. Mm. Most of my friends are like 20, 27, 28. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So from the newest one, there are two mechanics that make it so that I can't, I just can't like take the game seriously, which are the cardboard box <laughs> and the. Uh, the thing where he like puts on like he balloons people up. Yeah. Whatever that's called. I forgot what it's called. Yeah. Um, and the second one, it's not even just about believability. It's like that breaks one of the core mechanics of stealth games, which is that you have to be careful about which guards you take out because they leave a body. Yeah. So if you can just dispose of a body like that, it like it yeah. ruins a challenge. Well, that's not the way you should. Like I'm, I know that game. That's not the way it should. It, that, maybe on like subsequent playthroughs where it's like you're just screwing around. But there's, I mean, there's multiple ways to, you know, you could. That's one thing. What it was rated such a high game. It's like you could do. You could go about the mission however you want, and if you want mm-hmm. to, if you want to, if you have to extract somebody, it's like you could, you can go. Um, you go and you f- like call in a helicopter, 
like far further away and you yeah. have to you know and then the helicopter comes and you drop them off and it's like you could that's i think that's how the, it starts initially and then as you you could yeah no you know, like but, I, and but I dude know. the car dude you have to understand though as a metal gear fan if they ever did a game where without they, it with if they, they did not do it yeah if they had if they did not have the cardboard box people would be metal gear outraged. fans would lose their shit yeah so it's more it's just a it's just a thing that that I have a hard time getting over. I gotcha. I hear you, man. Uh, because I don't have the nostalgia factor. I hear you. And yeah, even, that's probably... Even yeah. with the extraction thing, that's... And I'm viewing this like in a vacuum because I haven't played the game, but it just seems to me like poor game design. Okay. Because you... Again, it's like the core challenge of stealth games. You're just taking it away. Yeah. And it's like if your game is either so hard that you have to have that available or it becomes too easy because you have it available. It's just poor game design. I think it's the way I see it. It's an, it's an option, but dude, I totally think you're right. It's like the, I think the nostalgia factor for me, cause I've been playing that game since I was, you know, the first one was, I think I was like six, seven or something. Mm-hmm. It's a little it's young like, to be playing Metal Gear Solid. I, I know dude, it was on the demo disc. And then I like, I don't know. I think I borrowed it from a, a friend who had an older brother mm-hmm. but that was a good game uh uh what about uh did you ever play uh probably i think the best story for me have you ever played uh the last of us i really want to dude i'm telling you i have not owned a playstation since playstation 2 mm. it's kind of hard when you have a super nice PC I know <laughs> yeah I would at this point I'd buy a PlayStation 4 Naughty Dogs games pretty yeah. much exclusively yeah yeah those all those games are and Insomniac to a lesser extent mm-hmm. yeah but I, I even though so I built my PC in November and I haven't um, but I would say that there's certain PlayStation exclusive games that are like so good that I would justify buying it just for the, just for those games. Like, yeah. Like the God of War game. The, um, I've heard that's really good oh, too. That's, it's not really my genre, but I would probably give it a shot. Uh, huh. it's yeah. The last of us, one of the best stories game I've ever played and, uh, God of War additionally mm-hmm. amazing oh speaking of the last of us and story in games i would also add uncharted 4 to that list mm-hmm. i have not played it but i watched someone play it all the way through it's on youtube it's an excellent story it's yeah and it's beautiful a beautiful game oh my god the fact that they could get that out of a playstation 4 nuts yeah just nuts it's crazy it is so gorgeous. Yeah. Dude, like, what they're able to do now. I told you I got the, the ray tracing, the RTX mm-hmm. uh, graphics card when I built the computer. I don't know where, I don't know where it's all going, man. It's, it's so crazy. Uh, well, okay. So I don't know if you've seen any footage of 
games from the 360 PlayStation 3 era anytime recently. Even the original Last of Us. I don't know if I could play it simply just because of what's... So this past console generation, because game graphics generally follow console generations, even though the console doesn't increase in power, they increase their usage of it over time. Mm-hmm. And then subsequently they apply these new techniques on PC with hard, better hardware over mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. So the last console generation, uh, which should be coming to an end sometime soon here, PlayStation 5 and the next Xbox are coming in the near future. This generation was all about... Well, okay, so to start off, the first big innovation was physically-based rendering, which is a technique for rendering surfaces according to a much more real-life simulation of how surfaces work. So where before you'd have... A diffuse map which is like your basic color map and then you'd have a specular map which is supposed to indicate where you'd get highlights mm-hmm. and you have a normal map for fake depth mm-hmm. that was the bulk of shading technology for the previous generation 360 generation with the PlayStation 4 and Xbox one uh, came the wide adoption of physically based rendering for games already been a thing in film for a number of years physically based rendering again you have a base color map which is similar to a diffuse map it's not quite the same but it's similar and then you have maps that indicate the roughness of the surface which is the primary specular replacement um as well as yeah as well as uh you have the normal map still which is for the fake depth that adds a lot. That was what the biggest innovation from the 360 generation is normal mapping. Um, and then you have like a map for showing how metallic a surface is because how metals look is handled differently from how non-metals look. Right. Uh, and then you have like, you can actually use subsurface scattering. So that becomes an option and there, there's more stuff. It's been a while since I put together a shader, but, yeah. Uh, basically, you're creating textures that give data that's about what the surface is as opposed to how it's supposed to look. And then the rendering engine translates what's the surf- what the surface is times the lighting that the surface is in and calculates how it's supposed to look. Right. So it's much more accurate. Yeah. And it looks way better. Yeah. It's a lot more processor intensive. Right. So... That was the big initial thing. And then the other thing was a lot of dynamic lighting. Mm -hmm. So this generation between those two things, those were like the big leaps. You can have a lot more dynamic lights and you can have objects that are affected by dynamic lights look a lot more similar to if they're affected by static lights. Okay. So previously you'd have environments with a bunch of static elements that are lit statically. So all their lighting is pre-computed. Right. You know, it goes through a very long rendering process right? to render out the final lighting and shadows. And it's just baked on to the surfaces basically. And that looks really good. It even looked really good last generation Mm -hmm. from a technical perspective. Mm -hmm. It was held back by the texturing, but doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So we still do that in most games because it's very efficient, Mm -hmm. but now you have the option to use more dynamic lights 
So you have like flickering lights, uh, moving lights, uh, even the sun moving over time. And this generation, they've developed so many more techniques for handling dynamic lights much more efficiently. Mm-hmm. So they have techniques for like caching states of the lights and like uh, blending between them. Mm-hmm. And they have just much more efficient ray casting from the lights and being able to just calculate the lighting dynamically. Yeah. And they can do it. They, you know, they've developed like caching techniques and all kinds of ways to speed it up. And they've also just had a lot more processing power to use. So now you have dynamic lights that honestly look just as good as static lights in most cases. Right. That was a big change. Right. From? From 360 to PS4. Right. Um, and so, you know, a lot of modern games will use that kind of stuff all the time now because they can. So what, what do you, have you seen some of the ray tracing? I've seen some of it, yeah. Yeah. What, so that's, uh, what do you know about that? Um, what I know is that ray tracing is ray tracing is a technique that's been like the big whale of the video game industry. It can be used. I mean, its primary application is in lighting. Right. It's like reflections. It's like you in the game in uh, you look at a window and let's say an explosion goes off in the back. You could see the explosion, the fire in the window. It's crazy. Yeah. So. Well, that's, that's how it's being used at the moment. Um, for context, in this generation, that's the other thing, is this generation also went and started adding reflections, mm-hmm. like real reflections. Right. So you could do very good-looking reflections of stuff that's in your field of view. But that's the big limiting factor of current reflection tech because reflections are very expensive to calculate, is they limited reflective uh, information to only what is in the viewport. That's how they, that's how they made it performant enough to use. So if you were looking over water Mm -hmm. with some sort of facade in front of it, you could see the reflection of the facade in the water. Right. But as soon as you turn to where the facade is no longer visible, it's not going to show up anymore. Right. And you'll even notice it when you're, say you're looking at, at a wide expanse of ocean. And if you look at the reflections and you just look towards the edges of your screen, you'll see it fade out because mm-hmm. it has no information once it gets to the edge of the screen. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't know what to put there. Yeah. And now they'll do clever things where they blend it with statically baked reflections. Since a lot of engines have built tooling around making statically baked reflections much easier to calculate and uh, automatic. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you can kind of cover it up in a lot of cases, but you'll notice a change if you're looking for it. Right. Ray tracing on the GPU makes the calculation of ray tracing less expensive by doing it so much closer to the silicon. So instead of having like multiple layers of abstraction in software between your ray tracing code and the hardware that's actually executing it, you're getting way closer because they're building hardware cores designed to calculate ray tracing calculations. Mm -hmm. So then there's only one or two layers of software abstraction between your ray tracing code and the actual cores. Yeah. Which is why it's so much faster. Yeah. So because of that, then you can do reflections that take into account the entire environment or at least a much larger area. 
Right. I'm sure there's a limit. I don't know what it is. I'm sure they're still using screen space to an, well, maybe not actually, but I'm sure there's like a, some, some like area that they'll stop. It's cause it's, it's not going to do the whole scene, but it'll probably do like a large, a large sphere around the player character. I'll calculate. I'll bet. Yeah. It's just an educated guess, but yeah, no, I think they did. Um, cause it, it was very taxing on the, like I'm talking specifically for battlefield, uh, five, I think, uh, what they needed to do was not put that, uh, the, those reflections on every single surface they had to choose, pick and choose. And yeah, I'm sure they did that too. And that helps. I, so between that and like stopping calculating it after a certain distance, that's probably how they accomplished it. Right. But now you can see the reflections that are off screen. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty dope tech. It's crazy, man. Yeah. It looks pretty good. Yeah. I haven't seen it in person because I don't have an RTX card, but yeah, I've seen some video video of it and, and it looks very solid. It's, it's very cool, but I turn it off. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hear that it takes like 30 frames off your FPS. So yeah, it's okay. I mean, uh, so I was like, I, p- I would play PlayStation before, which I think it's set at 60 FPS. Probably. Now, it's usually optimized to 60. Yeah. But now if I play with my PC, I think I get it's up to 165 frames a second. That hurts, enough, dude. And it's so good. 60 is good for me. 60 really? is fluid. Not if it's a competitive. Like I could tell. If it's competitive, I mean, if like you're playing I'd like, like a, for it to be 120, but I can still deal with 60. Yeah. Yeah. I think I I think I had just gotten used to playing at above like 120 sure. stuff and then once you go to 60 you're like oh it's the you know you now imagine it. playing at 30 you can't right it's like unplayable <laughs> yeah that's the other big change from the 360 to ps4 generation is in the 360 generation towards the end mm-hmm. and probably even before earlier on but certainly towards the end they were squeezing so much out of the processing power they had available to them they could only target 30 fps yeah so there's no games running at 60 fps on 360 ps3 towards the end yeah pretty much but with ps4 and xbox one since they had all this new power they could target 60 fps again yeah yeah it's, it's great for like story based games with like campaigns and stuff what's great 60 yeah 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 like that's it's fine toler- to toler- it's it's yeah it's tolerable yeah it's good at this point, I don't play a lot of competitive stuff anymore. So, sixty is is more than acceptable, and I'm more i I would rather have more graphics quality. Mm-hmm. I'd rather pull out extra graphics quality and lose a few frames, mm-hmm. drop down to sixty. Yeah. When you have time, what do you play nowadays? Oh my god, I really don't play a lot anymore. Right. Um, if I were to play anything, it would probably be. I mean, it would probably be Minesweeper, but that doesn't <laughs> come, really count. Come on, dude. Um, Insurgency Sandstorm is fun every now and again. Ah. Uh. Um, uh, primarily, if I really want to get lost in a game, I like uh, strategy simulations, like uh, city builder type stuff. Mm-hmm. So like the Tropico series mm-hmm. is one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um I was into city skylines for a minute. 
Is that like SimCity type stuff? Like it's a spiritual school. successor to SimCity. Okay. It's new. It's like 2016. Okay. 2015, something like that. Yeah. And they've done a bunch of expansions. Yeah. But it's the same same kind of mechanics uh, as SimCity. Where you built your you build your yeah your creation yeah there. yeah it's an interesting game it's the problem with that game is that they don't support uh the way that they handle like curved roads and how it affects zoning is not very elegant. It's like what they need to do, but there's no way for them to like have non-square pieces of zoning. Mm -hmm. So you can't have like a road that curves and have like the zoning, you know, it's like, it's like in line. It's like all good, hundred percent gridded. And then like it has a curve where it like uh, expands the squares or shrinks the squares to fit the curve and look like a continuous thing. Mm Mm-hmm. It just does this like weird like breaking up the thing to like mm. chunk it all the way around. Yeah. So that makes building interesting looking cities much more difficult. Yeah. And you pretty much are encouraged to build grids and that gets kind of boring. Yeah. In the same way that the Metal Gear Snake, the box would kill it for you. That specific thing would kill it for me. Yeah. No, that's fair. That's why I got out of it. Really? I mean, I was in it for a little while, and I'm yeah. like, I've built like five gridded cities. I'm bored of this. I wanted to build something else, and I try that. I'm like, this just doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, those games didn't never really appealed. I think I, I think I had some city like when I was like really, really, really young, and I was like, nothing worked. And Rimworld. It's a really good one. Rimworld. That one is. Um, that one's a survival simulation game. So it's a top down and you work with a small number of people mm-hmm. and you're like building a base and harvesting resources. So you have to like, you know, get food and eventually develop power and all the stuff that comes hmm. with that. And you're also fading, fending off raiders and stuff like that over hmm. time. And you want to like capture people. So you build prisons and then try to recruit them to your colony. <laughs> it's, it's a really good game. It's actually an indie game. Interesting. That was one of the early Kickstarter success stories. One of the few projects I've backed on Kickstarter. Really? Yep. I think I think every project I backed on Kickstarter has actually come out. Dude. I think I only backed winners. That's a valuable But it's like only like three projects. That's like valuable superpower, dude. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's a <laughs> that's an excellent game. A lot of replayability. Rim, Rim World, Rim World, hmm. and it's like all procedurally generated. So like it, it procedurally generates an overland, mm-hmm. like a globe, a straight up globe, mm-hmm. and then you like pick a tile that you're actually going to be on, and then it generates that tile, and that tile being a fairly significant area, and then you have a procedural storyteller that generates events based on like your momentum kind of. Okay. So like if you're depending on the one you choose, cause you can pick, well, there's one that's just random. It just does random stuff uh, for people who like chaos, but the main storyteller like adjusts her difficulty based on how you're doing. Uh-huh. So if you're like really struggling with like getting enough food, she's not going to throw a raid at you. Uh huh. 
But if you're like doing really well, she's like, okay, time to send some raiders to, towards this guy, you know? What's, what type of economy do you build in your, as you play God? It's, <laughs> so there is like trading involved and yeah. ultimately you get to the point where like the resources you're trying to get, you're trying to get medicine, which you can't, you can grow herbal medicine, which is reasonably effective for most things, mm-hmm. but to get higher level medicine, you have to use a component that you can't produce. You have to buy. Mm-hmm. or find right so that becomes a key mechanic and then the end game is you're supposed to try to build a ship to leave i've never gotten there mm. interesting most of the game is around like making sure you're getting enough growing enough food or hunting for enough food cooking it, meals to survive uh, long enough to at least to get the hell off exactly and then there's like caravans so you can like make caravans of your guys and send them to a different tile yeah it sounds like elon musk's idea of what he's trying to do go live on mars yeah (laughs) yeah with well with that part of actually one of the big challenges of going to mars like he says is you have to find ways to produce (coughs) the resources you need on mars so yeah, in that sense, yeah, that's one of the big challenges for it. Yeah, yeah. Do you think that's gonna happen? Hundred um, years from now? Oh yeah, hundred years for sure. I think. I don't know what his as a result of the doom of global warming. No, no, I don't. Do I think? don't think we'll move to Mars. Mm-hmm. But I think we will go to Mars in the next 20 years. Dude, Mars looks like it sucks. Probably. It's kind of like Arizona, certain parts. like It's like the worst aspects of Arizona, except it's also everywhere. freezing cold. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I think we'll go within the next 20 years. Yeah. And I think we'll set up a base when mm-hmm. we go. Base of operations. And they'll have like a fuel mining operation because that's the main resource they have to get is they have to get enough fuel, produce enough fuel to launch rockets back. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why Musk's technology is so important because if they can use reusable rockets, then when they enter Mars, they still have rocket, they can reuse it to go back. I wonder. I wonder how that's all going to work. Is it so? Who who claims that territory? Is it first person that gets there? Uh, is it is question. it is it Elon Musk? So now he owns a planet. Is it? <laughs> are we going to start another war with other people? The US who, goes to war with Tesla. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty crazy concept. It's probably going to be like an international like international war. Hey, dude, that's it. That sounds like a good video game idea, right? Yeah, could be. Something there, like the exploration of Mars. Well, or yeah, or like, like the, uh, the the early battle days, you know, the the battle between setting Tesla up and uh, <laughs> the yeah. world. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it'll probably be treated like international waters. So it's like everyone's land; like no one has a claim to it per se. It's more like 
we have to work together to even survive on this planet. So we'll just do that. Hmm. But then over time, ideally, sure. Over time, we'll see. And I, you know, I'm just curious what the end game is. Like, what is the point of going there? Is there a resource we can get there that it's hard to get here? You know, like what is, what's the point aside from just scientific achievement? I don't know. Like I said, I don't think we're going to move to Mars. Well, if, you know, some of the, if the world comes to an end or the, the earth starts to die off, you know, some people want to, I've heard that. Uh, yeah. But maybe, maybe there's resources or. I think, I think we're, the earth will be fine. Yeah. I think we'll fix it before it gets too bad. Yeah. It doesn't mean there won't be any damage along the way, but I don't think it will become uninhabitable for humanity. Yeah, I agree. But who knows, dude? Yeah. Humans are known for... Drop a bomb and (laughs) I'll think, you know what I mean? It's crazy. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. But um, I see see you've... uh, I think one of the things I think we've we've gotten into some discussions over. Um, I think you uh, in 2016 you were a Sanders fan. Yes. Yeah, and uh, it seems like you very strongly. Yeah, and you. It looks like you broke up. I still like him. Yeah, but you've you've. I'm I'm seeing some Yang. Yeah. No, Sanders is not my number one anymore. Yeah, right. How come? Uh, just. What Yang brings to the table is just much better. It's like a better version of what Sanders brings to the table. And I like Yang's focus on, I think he has a better grasp on what the government is really good at doing, which is redirecting resources and funding projects. Ultimately, that's what the government's really good at. Mm -hmm. So... Things like Medicare for all, like high-level administration, excellent. Government's very efficient at that. Public infrastructure projects, government's very efficient at that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, in his case, universal basic income, sending out checks. We do it with Social Security every month. Right. It's very efficient. Right. Yeah, that's his... uh, That's Dude, I was thinking, out of all the people on that side, Yang is... I do like... I do like Yang. He's certainly got the most crossover appeal. Yeah. Yeah. Him or that, what's that one chick? Gabbard? I like her too. Okay. And I like uh, Marianne Williamson. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but mind you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the other side. Uh huh. <laughs> but I do, but I, I do like Yang. I do like Yang. I watched him on the, Joe Rogan podcast where you got to see a little bit more of his. Yeah. Did you? Yes. You fan of Joe? I do actually. I like I Joe did. quite a bit. Yeah. Joe is, uh, his podcast is really interesting because he's a chameleon. So he can have on a lot of different people and get interesting things out of them. You think he's a chameleon? I think so. Uh, I mean, I think he has strong opinions. I think he's good at tailoring his opinions to his guest. It doesn't, isn't, doesn't that just mean also just respect like uh, a little bit, despite yeah. the, despite that you may disagree with somebody. It's like, 
simply because I may disagree with you on something. It's like, it's not that I'm a chameleon when I don't like enthusiastically fight back or something or, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, being a chameleon is not a bad thing. Uh, Okay. Like knowing, knowing how to do that is, can be a very useful skill. Right. Because you don't always, you don't always want to be fighting. It's not, I mean, it's not sustainable. Yeah. So what the hell's going to happen? Because it seems like in this time, in this time, it's, things did not get like between 2015 and where we are now. It seems like it's pretty, I'm waiting for the, what would you call it? The turbulence to kind of calm down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the majority of the country does not is not represented by what you hear frequently. Is a very vocal minority uh, from both sides. Just yeah, yeah. And there's certainly it's certainly partially a consequence of the way both sides have campaigned. Both sides have campaigned largely as against each other not for anything in particular. Right. There's no, there's no, uh, there's no cause that's, uh, what do you call it? It's just, it's a lot of short-term thinking. Right. And there's no cause that connect the two. They can't, you know, it's, it's like one extreme to the other. They've been punching each other for so long that they, cannot even allow themselves to agree anymore. Exactly. Which does not mean that the people in them can't. It's just that the leadership can't anymore. Right. The people in them still have the power to do so and we could decide to change it, but that takes a lot of time and effort. How much time? What what is your what is your uh projection, your forecast? What do you think? How do you think if if you're at a you got a good streak on Kickstarter, dude. Maybe you could use that superpower. Uh, <laughs> Your predictive superpower. <laughs> I, uh, I I really don't know. It's it's unfortunate because there are a lot of people who feel like they can't do anything about it, and this whole situation has been built in such a way that it's really disempowering to most people. And everyone feels like they're just a spectator of this like mm-hmm. fight going on, you know. But but some but some people like that. Yeah, some people do, but most people don't realize that the fight only lasts as long as they allow it to last. Like collectively, you can choose to not allow it to continue. That's an option on the table. Just most people don't even realize it's an option on the table. Yeah. I feel like that's the point that I've gotten, especially in the last couple, last year or so, where it's just like, because I used to be, you know, pretty interested to see what's going on and stuff. And now it's just like, I just, I don't care anymore. I definitely took a sabbatical from, <laughs> from media after, after the 2016 primary. Did you? Yeah. yeah. It was a little bit later for me, but it's just. Well, when, when the 2016 election itself was happening, I really just didn't care. I saw, in my case, both options were so 
opposed to the things that I actually believed in that I, I, I felt no attachment to either one. Right. Yeah. That's shitty. Yeah. <laughs> and like I, I was a majority of Americans. Right. A majority of Americans didn't really feel any strong attachment one way or another. Right. Cause both were, were not, did, just didn't agree with them. Mm-hmm. Like they, they didn't have anything in common. And it was more, it wasn't more like, who do you want? Uh, not, not saying for everybody, but for many, I think it was, it was more, um, who you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that's what, <laughs> I, that's what I mean is both sides have campaigned in a short sighted way yeah. for so many years. Cause they're just trying to win this election. Yeah. And the most effective way for so long was by animating your base by saying how bad the other side was and trying to get them to be like, Oh my God, I cannot allow the other side to win. Right. You know, but I, you know, long term, it's not very productive. Oh, not at all. I think it's, I think it, it, it gives, it gives, uh, Some of these like disenfranchised people, which I, I I feel like this from both sides of the extremes, it gives them like utility to like act out stupidly, like Antifa or like mm-hmm. the other side, you know, like the Charlotte's people. Um, There's a certain amount of like outrage porn. Yeah, and some people that's that's just their method of coping with. <laughs> life and that's i don't yeah. know well and they've been riled into this fervor right by both political parties for four decades five decades right and so there's this whole contingent of the population that does not know how to act other than this way right because it's been conditioned into them for decades right towards people who are different and, and that's why tv ads are still effective it's why people it's why politicians can buy elections with money if people, I don't get people that though. We're not, but in, I have a problem with. I don't understand because it doesn't work. Like I can't stand any. See, and that's what I mean is I have a problem with the framing that people buy elections with money because it's not really true, but effectively it's true because people allow it to happen. They allow themselves to get worked up into a fervor over these ads, and play into their hands. If they didn't, if they had the critical thinking capacity to do what you and I do, and I see an ad and go like, "That's bullshit." I'm not saying I'm not. I'm not. I don't overest. I don't overestimate my capacity to not be. Yeah, it's gonna get you to not be affected. <laughs> like those, like those uh, dog commercials with the with the music in the background. Yeah, well, that's like, <laughs> that's preying on human empathy. That's actually a lot. That's more. That's, pro- sinister, that's more dude. programmed into. It's, into your DNA, I think, because <laughs> uh, that was the main reason why humans survived and thrived. Is we worked with each other and we had empathy, right? But, um, but like as far as political ads, like, you know, if I see a political ad, like, my default is not to believe it, right? My default is to just do my own research, right? And a lot of people in our generation, that's the default, right? Because we were not exposed to forty years of conditioning. Right. So I think it will change over time. And I actually think money is going to become less affectious in politics over time. Particularly if 
our generation decides to start doing the research and be involved on their right. own independently. Right. I think it's, and this, this format, like the internet, like the podcasts, YouTube, mm-hmm. you saw, because I actually saw, you saw Bernie, I'm sure you maybe watched the Bernie Sanders on uh, Joe Rogan. Yes, I did. Yeah. I actually really like that. Yeah. Thing. You know, and it's, um, even though I'm not a fan of Bernie, it's like, I, I, I appreciate that format. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To, to like get to know somebody, you know what I mean? To yeah. see where they're, what they're all about. And it's the best, you're more, it's, it's the, the best way to see a candidate. Yeah. And it's the most effective way. If, if you really want to get to know somebody behind the sound bites mm-hmm. behind the, you know, and it's, What's interesting is if you have like a quote unquote establishment candidate, they're going to struggle with it because it is so difficult to make up bullshit on the fly. Yeah. And if you have to do it for two hours straight, yeah, that's taxing. It's taxing. But I think they do it, man. They could. I think they, they just wouldn't, wouldn't, I think wouldn't be able to do any fundraisers for the rest of the night. So their campaigns won't allow them to do it. Yeah. I think that's... Uh... No, I think you can measure a lot by how much someone says with how much time they have to say it. So that's another thing that I really Maybe. appreciate. That's something I really appreciate about Yang is that in every debate, he's had the least speaking time by a lot. Right. And yet somehow he's said just as much with a lot less time. Right. Because he's not having to equivocate or formulate an answer. He's just saying what he genuinely believes. Right. No filter. Right. That's just him. Right. So there's no processing power going on through his brain to like, how do I phrase this in a way that's going to be good? You know, he does. He's not doing that. So he can say so much more, so much quickly. So do you think in, 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 in a, in a, in a, in that same line, don't you think that that's, even though they're totally different, or, do you think that's, Exactly what you just said about Yang is what some people found appealing about Trump. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of I think it's one of the biggest reasons he was appealing in the first place. Right. Despite some of the stuff that he says. Yeah. No, I mean my my thing is people are attracted to leadership. Period. And yeah. leadership can come in a lot of forms and there are a lot of ways to fake it or fake competence or look like a leader when you may or may not be one. And so I think a lot of what, a lot of what he did gave off the impression of leadership. Yeah. That he, particularly that that he survived so much. Like, I mean, he's, he's survived a lot. He, you know, he's running circles around the media. He's getting them to do what he wants right. them to do without asking them. Right. Like, there's a lot of stuff that he ended up doing that signaled qualities very similar to leadership, even though I don't really think he's a terribly good leader. Yeah, I could. He's just good at faking it. I could understand that. Yeah. I could understand that. I mean, realistically, just off the turnover rate of his office... That's one of the biggest signs of a good leader is low turnover rate. You could also make the argument. You could also make the other end of the argument, though. A good leader will, you know, I'm not saying I'm just playing devil's advocate, but it could also you could. I'm, I'm saying you could also use the other end of the argument where where if. You know, 
somebody loses their if they're not right for it you do what you got to do and you you know pr- what do you call it you prune is that the right word yeah no i see what you're saying the it's a matter of scale though it's like a yes that's, if it happens a few times absolutely but if that, it's happening so often it's like that it's an, it might that, be an indication of something that's else. saying that if someone's an asshole someone's an asshole but if everyone's an asshole you're the asshole yeah 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 that's that's the concept you yeah. know so that's one of the certainly like in corporate america leaders are large one of the big things they're judged on is what is your turnover rate so if your area if your department has high turnover it does not look good for you right well you have to ask the question well what's the, what's the reason mm-hmm. you know well, even, Who's the asshole? Even <laughs> even regardless of reason, just having a high turnover rate increases the probability that you are a bad leader considerably. So it's just an indicator. It's just like a right. data point. Right. right, right. I I agree with that. A data point that has ultimately historically had a lot of accuracy. Yeah, I I could definitely see that. And I, I agree with that. We'll see, man. Yeah. We'll see. It is what it is. I'm not, I'm certainly not as quote unquote outraged as most. Yeah. That's good, man. It's life's too short, man. Yeah. Life's too short. <sighs> Cause it's, it's very easy to get, to go there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just like, there's gotta be more to life. At least, you know, there's gotta be more. We should conduct ourselves in, a way that increases the probability for us to be not so out, outraged. <laughs> yeah. Which means, you know, turn off the TV or get an off. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to do my best to build a sustainable life for myself mm-hmm. and put myself in a position to do good for others. That's kind of my philosophy. That's a good one. It's hard. Yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> it's hard, man. But uh I think uh I think that's at least it's a good ideal to keep at the forefront, you know, of your of your consciousness, you know. Do good. And be nice. As this podcast has been a very nice experience, dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think we're I think we're at a good good wrapping point here. I think so. How long we how long has it been? Uh, I think about an hour thirty five. That's good. Yeah, that's good. So you have any any final thoughts to add? No, man. I'm. That was a good. I think this is a cool thing that you're doing. I I don't think I have anything. Nothing comes to my head. Okay. Well, besides the fact that I, I appreciate this opportunity. All right. You want to plug your oh, yes. studio? Yes. If you are looking for anything audio related, um, it's lazyapestudios.com. Uh, you could get send an email or shoot me a text and we'll meet up. We'll talk. 
Um, and uh, and though it's been quite a while, I can personally vouch for the oh, incredibleness you. of the space. Oh, thank you. It's thank very you. cool. Yes. So again, lazyapestudio.com if you and you'll find us there. All right. Don't ask me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of SpyFi After Dark. If you enjoyed it, please consider rating or subscribing on whatever platform you're on. We'd really appreciate it. Next week, I have a one-on-one conversation with my very good friend, Alex. We talk about the perils of the 9-to-5 grind, our creative aspirations, and more. If you'd like to be notified when the episode comes out, follow me on Twitter at MillanTweets. That's M-I-L-L-A-N Tweets. Thanks for listening. Till next week.